It was definitely good to see cars back out on the track. Where, what's your Logan Sargent prediction? Is it nerves? Is it just because he's a rookie? Is it because the dip- Max was just sort of a little irritated? The Apex F1 podcast. Hey guys, Josh here. I just wanted to thank you guys so much for growing and listening with us, and we couldn't be here without your support. We have a new thing that we're trying out. It's called a suggestion box. If you're a Spotify listener, you have the option to scroll up while the episode is playing and enter questions, participate in polls, and other things that we have going on. By offering your suggestions, you're helping us grow even more and bring you better content that you would like to hear on the show. We appreciate your suggestions and can't wait to hear what you guys say. Thank you again, and stay turned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Apex F1 podcast. My name is Ryan, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh. And we've also got a special guest, Willem. Welcome back again, Willem. Man, you're just on here a lot. Yeah, mm, I guess you guys like me a lot. I guess I like you guys a lot. So, come see, come Hey, the Phil Hill interview was pretty good. I, I love that interview. Oh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Great guy. He's He's awesome. I also did not, like know a lot of the stories that he mentioned at the previous episode so it was really good to hear from him as well yeah uh we had a we had a great time with him it was it was fun we're definitely going to be having him back on hopefully in the middle of the season to talk more specifically about f1 instead of just kind of like going more into his life but it's always good to hear the stories anyways speaking of phil he is our new leaderboard leader for the he, yes he is yes just one what does he have up. on there he He's has seven? seven questions right and chloe is in second place with five or uh, six six yeah i believe she has six so uh chloe if you ever want to come back and you're listening to this and you want to see if we can get you back on for the lightning round of trivia then please feel free let me know well guys to to say the least this was a really boring race. Um, but let's let's kind of talk a little bit about the sprint format. Three words. How would you say, how would you summarize this new sprint format weekend? Uh, Josh, we'll start with you. In three words, do I have to do three words? Yes, three words. Really complex. How about two words? Sure, we'll take two. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Willem. What do you think? In three words or less. Um, I got one word. It's just fine. Like, it's just fine. There you there go. There's you your three go. word. Three word review. I mean, I, honestly, I liked it. I liked the format. It was a little tough to uh, follow at the beginning because I didn't realize like the sprint shootout was just practically sprint qualifying. But once I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is all right. It, it was entertaining, I suppose. A lot of stuff that happened. And uh, the sprint was fun to watch. I liked that it was short. It was just getting everybody I getting everybody back together on the track. I think I liked it so much just because we're racing again. It was it was definitely good to see cars back out on the track. Um that was a that was a good thing to see because, you know, after being away from F one for like four weeks, we're kind of just like dying for any sort of racing, you know. Willem, what did, what did you think in more in-depth of your your answer? Well, the reason I said it was just fine is that, that the whole point of the big change was that it added more value to the Saturday sprint race in a, in a different essence, where the previous sprint format 
what it would do is it would force drivers to use that race to qualify for the feature race. Now it separates the two events completely, makes Friday a bit more interesting with the fact that, you know, which I can kind of see why the drivers enjoy it for a certain someone. Um, but like, you know, for the most part, the drivers were just fine with the idea of, hey, you know, Saturday can kind of just be the fun sprint race. We earn a couple of points and then that can be advantageous. So if your driver's like, Checo, who who had a, a, a brilliant Saturday, to be honest, I thought it, uh, thought today he was phenomenal, but we'll talk about that later. I just think it just adds like an extra value over the course of, of a three-day weekend. The only thing is, and that's why I go to the fine part, was the sprint races just in general, for people who are like pure racing fans, it's it's a bit of a gimmicky thing. It just adds another event for the sake of adding another event to already a very complicated race weekend. And I, I do wonder if Formula One should really consider maybe just keeping it a little bit more simple, throwing drivers more into the deep end. I could agree in, in with different that. aspects. But you know, like I for me, it's like you know, Saturday free practice one or free practice qualifying Saturday, Sunday's the race. There. Because that's essentially what they did this weekend. The only thing is they added an extra day in between for the sprint race, which, again, can be fine. Formula One wants to market a more festive-like event, but at tracks like Baku, where it's it's not really the place, the country or city known for like having that sort of festivity vibe or a place that really attracts a lot of people to have that festivity vibe, like Coda or Monza or Silverstone. So that's what I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair assessment. You know, I, I think it's just going to take time. I think it's going to take time for a lot of the fan base to sort of get used to seeing the more of the aspect of seeing like how the sprint format is going to work out more entirely and how these teams are going to use their strategies. I, I guess you could say wisely. They're going to use them wisely in a sense of, you know, they got to do a lot more tire management now, especially because of the fact that they're they have uh, less tires to work with it since they're using, you know, used softs, mediums, and uh, I believe there's even mandatory softs and mandatory mediums. A lot of these changes have, I mean, we could do a deep dive on the new sprint format and stuff on a, on a different episode, but I, I, I feel like it's going to take some time for the fan base to adjust and do some trial and error. My, my three-word review for that would be, it is all right. I mean, I guess that's two. Basically, just because it's, you know, it's no, it's yeah, all right. It I is all right. It is all right. all right. Um, what? Sorry. That is a good song, by the way. <laughs> I think it's all right because of the fact that I didn't really follow it too much this weekend because I was more focused on Sunday's race. I was more focused on seeing like the main spectacle of doing the 51 laps in uh, in Azerbaijan. Now, there was a lot of stuff that went on during the sprint, you know, uh, especially, you know, the cl- uh, collision between George and, and Max, Love that. you know, uh, then that was, that was perfect, you know, and personally for me, I think that George was in every way uh, in the right. And, you know, I think Max was just sort of a little irritated because, you know, he's kind of has that mentality of like, you know, um, Hey, I, I, you know, I feel like I deserve that line, you know, or whatever. But George, George basically told him, like, I have the inside line. So technically, I I was able to gain that position. And Absolutely. he wasn't expecting Max to come over and basically, you know, give him a lecture and call him a dickhead about it. So, you know, I'm, I mean, 
what can you say? Sucks to suck. Exactly. Like I really love the move that Russell put on right there. It was legal. It was in with racing uh, respect. If you don't feel like that person's better than you and you get overtaken, like you're going to get rubbed the wrong way. And that's just how Max thinks, really. I mean, I don't even think Russell really tapped him. It was more Max turning in and like not expecting him to yeah. keep racing right there. And it was... Absolutely. That's all I have to say about it. That was, that was in my opinion, that was Max's yeah, fault. I, yeah, I agree. Oh, uh, man. I, I, first of all, I just think it's very funny how Max, like, once again, loves to blame other people for his shortcoming. You know, I mean, we've seen, like, over and over again, and I can name, like, 20 incidents where he's done the exact same thing, except it's actually resulted in a driver ending up with a DNF. In his Formula One career, I'm looking at Monza 2021 as the most notable example where he literally almost decapitated Lewis Hamilton's head. So I find it very funny he made that comment. Personally, I think he just comes across as a dickhead because he is one. And that's just my honest hot take. He should focus on trying to win the championship because right now Perez is... He's, he's hot on his trail. Perez drove an extraordinarily good race. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more to, to, to details about that. But it's a racing incident. There's a reason the FIA did not investigate. If Max does not like racing... He could appeal it. Let's let's do a rewind. If George Russell was in the Red Bull right now, do you think George Russell would be making the same reaction that Max would be doing? Max would be like, oh, that's just fair, harsh racing. Dude, like, get used to it, man. If you don't like the sprint format, I could completely understand that argument. But if you do not like the way that a driver is racing, which by the way, Russell gave him plenty of room. He was just mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and the problem that I have with Max and I've always had this, and this is like, we talked about it in the Senna episode. The reason Senna is a great driver and why he is remembered is that Senna knew how to pick his battles very clear- carefully. Max knows he has a quicker car than the Mercedes. Why does he need to put his car on the outside? He can slingshot behind him, use his triple DRS that he has to pass him in the next <laughs> corner, he wouldn't have had that collision. If we're being really, really harsh, that is that is who Max Verstappen the driver is. And that's why people like him, because he can be super aggressive. But it's also why people are frustrated with him, because he has never understood when to race correctly. Because he always thinks he should be given the free pass to be the aggressor for the sake of being aggressor. Well, spoiler alert, like, you can't. Anyway, that's my hot take. I, I agree. I, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment. And, you know, like you said, your opinions are your own. You have some validity in that hot take because of the fact that I can agree with you on the sense of him having the ability to be aggressive. Like, that's his strength. He is a really aggressive driver, which is good because he really knows how to really just stick it in there and get it, get it going. But it's also his weakness because he could be a little too aggressive. And like you said, you know, it ends up with people, you know, DNFing or, you know, we've had instances where, you know, he gets a little too reckless or just careless with it. And like we saw in the 2021 season, you know, that was a really tense few moments with him. But yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. I have another hot take on it. Oh, okay. Um, Shoot. Okay. So let's say when right before that safety car came out and Perez got into second and Verstappen's in the lead, right? And right before that that caution comes out, I think the only reason Verstappen was going into the pits right then was so that Red Bull was like, hey, we don't need these guys to fight each other right now. Let's separate them. Because we all know that Verstappen is not going to let Perez 
by him, even if he is the faster one, no matter what the team says. So I, I think it was like a gamble, but I really think that they wanted to separate them at the beginning of the race and let them get their own wins. You know what I mean? So that's my hot take. Oh, I, I completely agree. I think that's the perfect hot take for that. That's a, that's a perfect take for that. Absolutely. Why don't we move over to the race? Do you think we've covered everything in the sprint or should there, we? There was really not much something else? to was mention there... about the sprint other than like it was fine. It just was like a baby version of the things to come in, in the main race, which we're going to get to now. Gentlemen, why don't we why don't we dive into the actual race? And I'm going to say it, it was a big snooze fest. I, I didn't need melatonin. <laughs> no, you didn't need your melatonin to go to sleep, but. It was it was just one of those things that you know I woke up at three three fifty. I was in a casino. Okay, oh, I was, you sound like you had a great. <laughs> I was time. on vacation. No, I I had a terrible time. No, I didn't win. Um, but anyways, so I just watching it on my phone and watching it on the TV, and it was boring. I hate to say it. There were a couple of uh, there were okay. So let's let's talk about a couple of things first. So. Let's talk about the safety car incident with Nick DeVries. He, he is having the worst luck this year in his season. I don't know what it is. It, it, is it nerves? Is it just because he's a rookie? Is it because of the different car? Is it all of the above? I mean, I, I've, like, I've, I've, I've known Nick for, for a while. Well, not personally, but I've, I've, I've seen him ever since 12 years old. And Nick is an extremely good driver. Um, and and he, you have to be, well... Maldonado would debate that, but like you know, like um, and, <laughs> Maldonado and has entered the chat. Uh, but no, um, he's he's a very good driver, and and he has a lot of talent. But there's also a reason, and this has kind of always been my concern about Nick. There's always there's always a reason why Nick never was after he became Formula Two champion. Why he all of a sudden made the big leap to F1? It was just because he was good, but if he couldn't even if his only competition that season was Nicholas Latifi for the title. That should tell you everything you need to know about who he is. Now, he did prove a lot of people wrong in Williams when he did that one-off race, which he mm -hmm. was phenomenal. That's and, correct. And he honestly was driver of the day, in my opinion, that race. And I really like Nick as a person, and I think he, he is an incredible racing driver. But that Alpha Turi, it's a car that is designed for people who are used to just a bad F1 car, you know, and, and Sonoda has learned in the last two seasons under Gasly how to adapt to sort of mediocre bad F1 cars. Even at Williams, which when he did that race, Monza is not a, a, a difficult track to learn compared to, and, and, and he has a very skinny, like sort of um, slippery car because the Williams is notoriously slippery in a straight line. And so you know, he could race, he could be competitive during that race and learn quite nicely. This is his proper rookie season. And although the age doesn't represent that, and although that incident happened, you, I won't give him that much slack for this because I know it's just part of him learning the ropes. But it's also not good because it's just been four races in a row of just either not being at all impactful during the Grand Prix or crashing i don't know if it's because of the scott stuff that happened in the background this season but it's but let's look at look at look at his results okay so in bahrain he finished 14th you know non-factor he, he finished there in yeah in saudi arabia he finished 14th as well australia 
he DNF'd because he got punted out by Logan. Looking back at all these results, like, you know, he's he's consistently in a I mean, like you said, he has to learn the how to adapt to the car. But I think I would think that four races in, you kinda have a feeling of where to throw the car in the corner, you know? I mean, I, I'm not saying like yeah, I know how to yes. do that or anything because I'm 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 he obviously threw it in the corner. He threw, right. Yeah, yeah, he threw it in the corner. That that's exactly like yes, I I understand that. But a Formula One car, if it's a bad F1 car, that is never representative of talented drivers. That's you know, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it is like you know, if you're Senna or Norris, as we saw recently, um, you know, it, it really depends. Like if you remember with Ricardo. We all think Ricardo's a good driver, I assume, here. We all think yeah, he's great, yeah. but then he goes to McLaren, and, well, he's he's not that great, I guess is, is the, the, the politically correct word to say it. Does that mean that all of a sudden Ricardo is a bad racing driver because he, he, couldn't, he couldn't drive a bad F1 car? No, it's just because, you know, drivers are only as good as their machinery, and Formula One is the pinnacle of it, you know? see it like football, you know, is Jared Goff of the Detroit Lions a bad quarterback? Yes. Because, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, is he a bad quarterback because of the team he's in? Or is he a bad quarterback because he is a bad quarterback? The answer is, like, you you, you judge it by the two teams he has been in, which is that he's just above average, I guess. Um, and that's the same here with Nick. Nick has just not been able to to adjust to this car it's no one's fault but he does need to do something about it because liam lawson is in the wings there's rumors that maybe ricardo could take that seat and just sort of chill with that team for the foreseeable future formula one is a shark pit you're you're only as good as your last race and his last race was a a clumsy dnf into the wall i mean sonoda did pretty good in qualifying well, that's that's exactly the I point. Mean, like Sonoda had a fantastic weekend and has been fantastic this whole season. Right. I I've noticed his pace is improving, um, which is good because I think that's that was something that uh, Franz was looking for in uh, Yuki when he was you know having his trouble in the very first uh, season and well, actually like the first two seasons. Yeah, so it it was just a boring race overall. But there was also quite a few things that uh, that did happen. First of all, everybody's talking about the the Esteban Alcon and the FIA, you know, press photographers and stuff like that. I'm just gonna say it: like, how careless, how careless are these people? The FIA, shame on the FIA for you know uh, not enforcing the like. What what are these people even doing out in the pit lane before the race is even over? That's what I don't get. Like the flag had literally not even dropped to finish, and these people were just about ready to get completely steamrolled by Esteban coming in the pits. Well, from my understanding, the FIA allows those people in the pits at least in a in a certain area. But like, holy shit, that was close, and they're definitely not where they were supposed to be, even if they were setting up park firm or whatever. The, whatever they're know. trying to do. It's just ridiculous. You know, I'm I'm watching it as it's finishing. I'm like, immediately when they cut to that, you could hear you could hear it in Ted's voice. Like, and Ted is a very observant. Ted Kravitz is a very observant person, and 
one of the, I think he was actually right near that area where that happened and I was listening to him and he's like, this is just an absolute disaster. Like what is going on? You know, it was ridiculous. You know, this, this is unacceptable. It's, it's a complete lack of safety regulations in the sense of, uh, you know, keeping not just the drivers safe, but also the personnel that are on the ground safe, the marshals, the, you know, everybody else, the photographers, engineer, whoever, you know, there's rules in the pit lane. And I know that they're FIA approved, you know, people, but like, come on. What this event really showcased was that Formula One has no longer become a sport. It has become entertainment. F1 is entertainment right now. The reason there are speed limiters, we actually didn't talk about this, I actually missed this completely, but the 1994 Imola Grand Prix speed limiters after that race were introduced in all kinds of pit lane rules because a wheel fell off of one of the Ferraris or one of the other cars and it it hurt seven mechanics in the pit lane. Um, it It is a dangerous part of the racetrack, you know? And and it is still a part of the racetrack. And Formula One has detached itself from the sport that it has been. And this is the only part of the argument I get from Max, which is that it has detached itself so much that it's the Formula One has become the show. It hasn't become the sport. You know, we had a boring race where cars were following each other but not passing each other, which the whole promise of these rules have been that. This is this is the whole thing. And Formula One waves its arms up and say, yeah, it's great. Everything's good. And Mohammed bin Salah, whatever his name is, I've forgotten his full name, the president of the FIA, focusing more on on banning nose piercings and, and all kinds of random, unnecessary crap. Well, meanwhile, stewards, Red Bull mechanics who decided to run across the racetrack, which is another thing that pissed me off because they wrote a whole rule about that as well, which was a big fuss, if you remember it, at Australia. and. And it's just, it's a complete mess. It's like as if Formula One has completely removed itself from the idea that it's a sport and is focused more on being at these crazy locations, letting everyone, these influencers, the Jake Pauls and all that kind of stuff of the world, taking photos on the side of the racetrack while there's an actual motor race. And the worst part of all of this is that those stewards knew about this, knew Ocon was coming there, and refused to get out of the way because. They didn't think Ocon was actually going to do it. How stupid must you be to think that? And the worst part is the stewards got angry at the FIA, and the FIA sort of looked itself in the mirror and go, you're wrong, I'm right, but we'll do something about it. (laughs) Like, it's absurd. It's just such a complete joke, and especially in one of the most high-speed street circuits where, I mean, God forbid, if, if Ocon was not paying attention. He would be in the news for the absolute worst of reasons because of the FIA, whose, whose job is to protect the safety of people at the racetrack and the drivers. It's just horrible. I, I, was, I was really, really angry about that. And that's the reason Ted was angry, because it's such a basic principle. And, and meanwhile, these influencers are there, still taking photos even after the fact, because they think, oh, it's fine now all of a sudden. There's still a motor race going on, and it's just it was it was horrible. I, I I was really unhappy, and it just sort of summed up the whole 23 season in a nutshell. If I'm being honest, I agree with you. And the FIA needs to protect themselves and the sport that they are so inclined to protect. 
right? They need to take their business decisions, delegate that somewhere else, and have somebody solely focus on the race. Separate the show from the motorsport. I mean, you can have all the antics outside or whatever, but when it's race time, it's race time. You need to focus on that and what's going on and have your regulations in place. And another rule that I see, like, said that the teams couldn't be on the fences anymore. And Red Bull was right there on the fence with Perez coming by, waving the flag and all that. And I haven't seen any or heard anybody say anything about that. Okay, it's fine when Red Bull does it, but when somebody else does it, then then there's going to be a penalty. Then there's going to be something. And I'm not necessarily saying that's the case, but like it just something has to be done. If you're going to put rules in place, like implement them. And, and that's kind of the whole problem. I think like it's horrible to say this, but like when Charlie Whiting passed away, the sport has just sort of lost all of its moral principles. It has been so inconsistent with how it executes the rules and how unaccountable they have become. I mean, the FIA has always been lacking accountability for decades now, but it has gotten to the point where, you know, you have a large audience watching you. Hundreds of millions of people a year are now watching you and, and watching this sport play out the way that they play out. And the 21 championship, the brake checking of Max, the, the, the Hamilton crash at Silverstone, the, 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 the way Max won the 22 championship because he decided to give a penalty after Charles Leclerc passed the, the finish line when they could have easily given the penalty the moment he decided to cut the chicane. Now this crap, and, and, and just it's, it's just a layer and layer of, of stupidity that has bestowed upon, or just a lack of ownership that there needs to be something done. And the fact that the FOM are also not doing something about it is, is just, it's frankly embarrassing. It's an embarrassment to the sport. It's inconsistent. Like, it would be one thing if uh, it would happen week after week after week, the same thing is always going wrong. It's like, okay, then that's just bad people, and if I just needed to hire somebody else or whatever but it's just like oh you get you did one good thing and then you do two bad things and then it's just like i, I don't understand the inconsistency it's like do you want the sport to grow in the right direction or what what do you want to do you just want to build your pockets like let's make a decision at least go somewhere yeah yeah absolutely exactly. you know it's it, you know the same incident happened in australia last year with albin you know he pitted on the last lap and there was all these people you know just wandering the pit lane you know, because they're basically getting ready to start siphoning the cars in for Park Firm and, you know, and you don't know, do the whole uh, trophy celebrations and stuff like that. And it's like, God, have we not learned? Have you guys not learned anything? <laughs> I don't get it. I really just don't get it. But I just love that we waited a whole month to get back to racing. And then this is what we're talking about. And that's, that's, yeah. that's what sums up the 23 season perfectly. Yeah. It's like, you know, we've got all this, all this time. And then it's like, Oh, well, that's not going to be good. You know, why don't we close this out with, uh, you know, some stuff on a positive note, and then we'll get into our top flop, our top driver, top pick. I got one. Um, so what I really loved, like my, I guess my favorite thing to take away from the race was that, Aston Martin has the best team presence within themselves. Alonso was ahead of Stroll, getting over the radio, telling them what they can do to fix, like, to see if they can try to fix his car so that he can get up with him and just back and forth like Stroll wasn't going to attack him and defend for Alonso and stuff. Like, it was just a lot of camaraderie and 
just an understanding of the strategy and really well done team aspects of it, I guess. But it was just really good to see something like that with a with a veteran like Alonzo because Lance Stroll is in a very good spot right now where he can learn from Alonzo and also be in a comfortable spot within the team because his dad owns the team or whatever. But it's like he still has to be a good driver, obviously. But they also have a good backup driver too. I, f- I forgot his Philippe name. Philip Drogovic. Yes. Yeah. I saw an interview with him and they just really have a good chance of learning from Alonzo. Mm. Drogovic is a really, really cool person. Yeah, but I just really loved seeing that, and that was like a really positive thing for me to, that I wanted to point out. Yeah, Willem? Um, that the race weekend is over. That's my that's my positive. Um, no, in, in <laughs> fairness, there was a few things. First of all, I think although Red Bull are still like 100,000 years ahead, legally or illegally, however way you want to take it, you know, it dis- did seem like, you know, hey, Ferrari do have some straight line speed. There is some some positives coming uh, coming from that, so I think that's that's the good news. And and then generally speaking, all the teams that had upgrades, bar maybe Alpine, I think had I would say like you know all of them seem to be working. You know, McLaren made it another solid jump up front. It's fair to say that they they they're getting on top of their problems at this stage, but we'll wait and see. And honestly, like. I, I would agree with you with Josh's take though. I think what's what's really nice about Aston is that, despite not really bringing that big of an upgrade other than like a slight rear wing change, they're still a very competitive package and they're still able to you know compete with the Ferraris. I mean, don't forget Alonso was one second behind Leclerc, and by the end of the race he was five tenths behind of Leclerc. That's unbelievable. Yeah, if he had one more lap, he would have ah, absolutely. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no, no. You're 100 percent right. I I agree. Yeah, it, you know, the Ferraris looked really good this weekend. You know, I was I was definitely impressed with with uh, Charles and and Carlos's pace. You know, they're they're definitely getting a lot better. You know, it's it's just taking time. Hopefully, in Miami uh, this upcoming week, then we will see better pace and performance from them it just is going to depend on how they how they perform and the other factors that go into you know the qualifying and everything but i think my best takeaway from this uh race was that perez man that man is in it to win it and i i think i love his tenacity to basically kind of like subliminally like tell max like hey i'm i'm in this fight too you know, I didn't come here to be number two. That man is just showing how determined he is to to win, and I I loved seeing his uh, his drive. His pace looked really great this weekend, and I think he he had it uh, pretty pretty spot on this weekend. I think we're gonna have to wait for I would say at least four more races to see how consistent the the performance of Perez he is. is. Um, but I will say this has been by far his best start to a Formula One season. I think what's helped, and this is kind of the rumors have been spreading for a while now, is that, um, yes, indeed, Perez is sort of like outdriving himself at the moment, because unlike Max, where Max can sort of hold his reserves if he needs to and then unlock that performance like most very good slash great drivers can do, Perez doesn't have that that 
ability at times and and the new car it's tailored since last season to have a bit more of a front heavy steering so it's a little bit more mm-hmm. understeer max doesn't like that i just know for a fact he doesn't like that he likes a car that's that that's very sensitive in the rear you know he has a lot of control he's had to adjust and like you know that's how you know he's been able to do things but i have noticed that this season they've taken that a little bit up a notch and perez has felt very comfortable early on perez likes a very strong front end and if perez continues like this if you're christian horner you're you'd be foolish to all of a sudden say hey you know you know i'm going to do what i did in 22 and basically take all that development power away from perez and just give it to max you have to distribute that that correctly so i think it's it's i completely agree with you he's only what less than 10 points behind max he drove better than max in fact i would argue he's actually driven better this season than max has driven it, it just my personal opinion he's been brilliant i mean saudi arabia brilliant he had max shut down there australia that come back up to fifth brilliant this race every time max had an answer even when it took him 10 laps to get in with the lower fuel which is usually the period of time where max excels the most perez had an answer for that at one point he was he was he he gained like five tenths and max could not respond to that he he has he has had a really great start to the season, and I just I hope I hope Red Bull don't do something stupid and say, yeah, let's let's hope the little Dutch guy can have the championship again because it's it's so if for Red Bull they cannot afford to be that stupid and clumsy like they were the last few seasons. I just yeah, I'm just uh, can't wait to see what happens with Prez and Red Bull. Like Prez has driven really great, like you said, and I totally agree. You know, a hundred percent. I I agree with the both of you. You know, it's 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 definitely going to take some time to see how he is. So probably by the time we reach uh, Hungary, we might we might see the true form of Sergio and uh, Verstappen. You'll know after four races. Um, I can guarantee you. Yeah, you'll know after four races. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will even take that long. After- if if Sergio ends up winning, like Monaco, for instance. And he f- continues to finish the way that he finishes in Miami, which we don't know if he'll be good there, but who knows? If he continues this sort of performance, there is no reason not suggest that Checo can't be considered a title contender right now. He he has shown that he is able to not only beat Max, but beat Max actually consistently. They each have two wins this season. Ah, uh, three. Three, because yeah, both... he has a sprint run. He has more wins ah, technically yes, this right, season. You're right. That's a good point, actually. That is a really good point. Yeah, we'll we'll probably know by the uh, by the time we get to Monaco or Spain. Uh, why don't we Why don't we close out with our top flop and uh, maybe other race predictions this this upcoming weekend in Miami? Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and start us off with your uh, top flop? My top flop is going to have to be Gasly. He uh, 2021 he was podium at Baku, so. And he really just let the ball drop. I know he's in a new car this year. Really unfortunate. And he's a better driver than what he showed this weekend. And he just really needs to pick up the pace and show that talent. And he has a good car. He just needs to get in the zone. Top flop. The stewards. No. <laughs> You're not I mean, wrong. That's a, there's so You're many top there. flops this weekend, actually, in a lot of us. Stewards, the, the FOM. Uh, you know, you could do Max is technically a flop because he wasn't able to do the stuff 
to do. Uh, signs, you could argue, it was a flop. You know, stuck with that setup in FP1. He had no choice to live with it, but I think he recovered as best as he could. When I think of the biggest top flop, I would say it's Alfa Romeo, actually. They were, they had a lot better season last season. They were dead last this weekend. And more specifically, Bottas was dead last. And then Guan Yu Zhou, who's had a very good start to the season, don't forget, has beaten basically Bottas every single race so far. Has only been lucky because of reliability at this stage. He's last, comfortably last, compared to everyone ahead of him. They don't seem to have a lot of upward momentum. I mean, I think it's the last year with their Alfa Romeo sponsorship. And I have a, just a feeling that it's only going to get worse and worse and worse from here. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going with Alfa Romeo. Pretty crap weekend. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you there. You know, Alfa Romeo has been uh, looking, looking solid, not consistent. They've been looking solid in so far, but they are very inconsistent. and. I'm hoping, hoping that by the time we reach Canada or, you know, even if we get to Silverstone, that we could see some better consistency from Alfa Romeo and Botas and Gwen Yuzhou. Because um, I, I love both of them as drivers. And they, they both have really good driving styles. It's just, you know, they've had a lot of bad luck. My top flop of this weekend was uh, George Russell. The reason why I picked George Russell. Mercedes looked like they were struggling a little bit this weekend. They weren't as as solid and steady as they were in Melbourne, and obviously because it's a different circuit. But what I did like was that Hamilton and Alonso got into it, you know, in the very first, you know, a few corners when they first started the race. You know, it just sucks because I've always loved the way that George drives. He he basically out qualified uh, Hamilton last year. This year, not so much, but he's doing a, a better job than, you know, he was doing towards the end of the year last year. And I think it was, you know, it was just kind of sad to not see him, you know, fighting up there with, with uh, Max. And then when the whole safety car thing happened, you know, I, I really wish that they would have, that he would have been a little bit more in the fight, you know, even with Ferrari, like he couldn't really get to Aston Martin's pace or even Ferrari's pace. So that that would be my my top flop for this weekend. What's your predictions for Miami race? I think I think we're going to see more Red Bull domination. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's going away anytime soon. My typical Logan Sargent bet that I feel like he'll he'll win the race on He's his home pole. He'll take pole. <laughs> he'll take pole on his home race. One of his one of his three home races this year. You know, I think I think uh we're going to we're going to see some good stuff in Miami. I think it's going to be more Red Bull domination and Ferrari and Aston Martin fighting. I got to be I I got to be the asshole here like we're I just got to be the Debbie Downer. Unless like some super miracle happens, I I don't see that, but I do think it there you know. There's a bit more the the thing about Miami is it's it has one big straight and the rest is just corners and I think the cars that will do a lot better there will be the Aston Martin and more specifically the Mercedes. I think the Mercedes was pretty strong in Australia and that's a good comparison track to Miami in, in a sense. Um and I think, you know, Mercedes was obviously the slowest in the straights this weekend. Not by much, but enough to make a, a, a big enough difference. But I, I think, you know, Lewis 
I think has a, you know, is, is this is the last race that Mercedes will have with this current chassis and then Imola, the big changes start coming in. And I, I think you're going to see a very, uh, you're going to see a very different uh, car. And I think also, I think you'll see Aston Martin back up there again as well. Are we going to see the Ferraris up there? I'm I'm not too sure. But if I had to make a prediction, I think if Perez can keep this up, I think Perez can win it. Um, he can totally he could totally oh, win yeah. Miami 100. He was good last last season, not great, but he was he was actually pretty decent. And now he's a much better package around him. I think Max will finish second, and I think I'm gonna go be a bit more adventurous. But I think I think George will be third on the podium. Yeah, with most him. definitely. I um, like that. That's a good one. Josh, what are your predictions? Uh, Perez, Verstappen, Alonso, and then right outside that would be Russell and Hamilton. Oh, we're talking podium. That's a good one. Um, okay, let's. Oh let's... no, yeah. Where, what's your Logan Sargent prediction? You love him so much, you know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get my Logan lockdown on. He's gonna make the top ten this weekend. I feel like he's gonna <laughs> yeah. make the top. Nick DeFries okay, is so be it'll be top ten, but it won't be because of pace. All right, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, it's not gonna be because of pace. It's gonna be because of. Of a a really good pit stop strategy. It's his that, home Grand that's Prix. Put him ahead of, it's his home Grand Prix. You know, yeah. I mean, it could, it could. We know, we don't know. And uh, and Nick and Nikita Mazepin will win the world championship. Oh God, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I guess that that pretty much wraps it up for this past weekend's Grand Prix. Overall, I think it's it's a it's a good change to see the the sprint. I did want to let you guys know that I will not be covering this uh, race this weekend as it is my, my wife's birthday uh, this weekend. She's going to be turning 27. So if you can go ahead and wish her a happy birthday for us in the social medias, if you wherever you hear this, uh, feel free to give her a shout out. Um, but uh, I will not be hosting this weekend. It will be Josh, you get the reins. Willem, you're helping him with the reins. And I am going to be celebrating my wife's birthday. So um, we have Miami again this weekend. Uh, we will probably have a midweek news review for you this week. We're a prediction list. And we will get back to you guys uh, later in the week. Uh, be sure to join the Discord as we need more people in our Discord. So share it. Follow us. Like us. Give us everything that you got. And uh, don't forget to tip your bartenders if you're going to have a good time this weekend. All right. Bye, everybody. Stay turned.